My name's Adam Richards. Joe said just introduce myself quickly for those who might not know who I am. Um, that would be my children. Um, uh, sorry, that was a bad joke. Um, I work at WSU Campbelltown, uh, which used to be UWS Campbelltown. For those who don't know, you paid $30 million for the name change. Good for you. Um, be happy. Um, I'm married to Trudy, I have four beautiful children, and I, it is my great privilege to do this series on prayer. Joe asked me to do it so as to give him a chance to work on some other things for the church, and so I said it would be my pleasure, and it is a great privilege to be here and gather with you. So let us pray that we might be able to speak to God, and as we hear his word, that we will actually be conformed to his image. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here this morning to hear you speak to us. We pray, Father, as we look at your word this morning, that by your grace and through your strength, you will change our hearts and minds, conform us to be in the image of Christ, that we might live for his praise and live for his glory. Amen. Uh, it's been a while now, it's been a few years, and I remember doing the HSC, and I didn't do so well in the HSC. Um, and as I look back at that time, I've, I, I still remember my poetry exam and I still remember, well, not poetry, my English exam, and I still remember doing poetry. And I really liked uh, the poet we looked at at the time. His name was Robert Frost. But as I looked at his poem I, I, and looked at the poem that we were taught, I went, oh, gosh, I got that very, very wrong. Uh, it was it was a complete mistake. And I'm going to read you that poem and then show you where, why I got it wrong. And the poem's called The Road Not Taken. Anybody aware of this poem? Heard this poem? A few of you have. Well, I bet you weren't expecting to hear poetry when you walked in this morning. The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveller long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as justice fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though, as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sign, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. Now I remember doing this poem in high school way back whence, in my dark ages, when I, you know, I'm like to used to say that I'm so old, I knew the Dead Sea when it was only sick. Now, going back all those years and thinking about this poem, and I looked at this poem and I remember writing, well, this poem's about taking the road less travelled by. It's about being an individual, being different, standing out, that really what makes you who you are and what will make your life special is to take the road less travelled by. And that's what I wrote 
in my HSC. And looking back and actually reading this poem all these years later, I realised that that is complete and utter bumpkin. The poem does not mean take the road less travelled by. What the poet is actually saying, what Robert Frost is actually saying here is, there were two roads diverged in the wood, and in reality, they were both roughly the same. They looked roughly the same. Yeah, one went this way, another went that way. But no matter which way I went, the roads, they would have been different, but that is life, and that's okay. It doesn't really matter where you end up as long as you're on the journey. Now, let me tell you, if you're going to Melbourne and you think, Wow, it doesn't matter how I'll get there, it's all about the journey. And you drive up to the M5 and you go left, right, eh, I'll go north. <laughs> You're going to struggle. You're not going to get where you want to go. It is not about the journey. It is about the destination. The journey only makes sense in light of where you are going. What Robert Frost Prome says, well, it doesn't really matter about the destination. It is all about the journey through life. It is complete rubbish because it does matter where you are going. It does matter the direction you are taking and the journey will only make sense in light of where you are going, in light of the destination. What does this have to do with prayer and why we pray? The truth is we pray because we know where we are going. We pray because we know of the destination. We pray because we want to be like Christ who saves us. That is why we pray. Because we know where we are going. And God wants to conform us and change us and move us in the direction of where he is shaping us, of the journey that he has set before us, of the path and the life that we are going on. Often in the Bible, when it talks about living, the actual word behind the word living is actually the word to walk, to travel, to journey. Life is a journey. Life is a, uh, a, a road we take. But the question is, at the end of the day, where are you going? If you're wandering aimlessly in the wilderness, you will get there. But we are not wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. We have a direction. And his name is Christ. And this morning we're going to see why we should pray to be like Jesus. Now last week, as I said, we started this series and we looked at who God is. And we saw that God is all-knowing, all-powerful. And because of who God is, because of his strength and his power, we actually can rely on him. We actually can depend on him. And our prayer is an expression of faith. When we pray, we are saying, we trust that you can get this done for us. We know that you can fulfil and answer these requests. This morning, what we're looking at really is, okay, if we know that God can do all things and God's in control, well, then why should we pray? 
And the truth is, because prayer is a gift that God gives us to make us want what God wants for us. And so the first season we looked at why we pray is really our new dependence in Christ. We have a new dependence in Christ. We are sinful. We do commit sin. Now when I talk about sin to university students, I ask them, and I always say this to university students, are you sinful? And the Christian universities go, yeah, the Christian students always go, yes, I am sinful. And I go, great. So what is it, to, what is sin? And they look at me like I'm from another planet. And I go, no, no, what is sin? And generally they'll go, what do you mean? And I say, well, tell me what sin is. Define the word for me. And then they'll usually say something like, well, it's breaking God's laws. It's breaking God's rules. It's the bad things that we do. And to an extent, this is true. But the reality of sin here is, at the end of the day, this is the symptom of sin. Breaking God's rules is really only symptomatic of our sinfulness. Really what our sinfulness is, is even far deeper. Because in sin, what we're really saying to God is, God, I do not need you. I do not need your existence. I can live separate to you. I don't need a bar of you. In fact, I wish you were dead. Sin says to God, I do not need God's existence for my own. I can exist completely and utterly separate to the being of God. That is what sin is. It is a complete and utter rejection of God and who he is. But here is the good news. Here is the great news. And it comes out in Ephesians. And it's one of my favourite passage, favourite passages. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God has saved us not because we deserved it, not because we were good, not because we pulled our socks up, but because he loved us. Though we were sinful and rejected our creator, though we have said, God, we do not need you, I can live completely and utterly and fundamentally separate to you, God, because of his great love, sent his son to die for us. He actually restores our relationship through Christ. And Though in sin we say, I don't need you, I don't need to depend on you, I can live and exist separate to you, God says, no, you need me 
and you need me more than you even realise. And what I am going to do is I am going to take the sin and the penalty for sin upon my shoulders and pay the price for you. Trust me. Trust me. See, what God has done in actually sending Jesus is reverse sin. Where we said we didn't need to depend, God says, no, you do need to depend, and not only that, I will do all that you need. It restores the relationship back to its right and proper order. He has changed us from people in rebellion to people who want to live in his kingdom. And this is what we see in Colossians and what we read about. We read in verse 13 of Colossians. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has actually taken us from being in one kingdom, following desires of that kingdom, following the desires of our flesh, and turned us into a new kingdom and made us a new people with new desires, a new hope, new dreams, a new future. Instead of a future dominated by darkness and by the sensuality of the world, we are now dominated by Christ. Complete and utter reversal. Christians know what it is to live in this world. This is a dark world. It is a world in rebellion. And it is hard to live in the world at times. But because of God's great mercy for us, who has died for us, he not only died for us, he not only pays our penalty for us, but he also supplies us with the power and strength we need to actually carry on in this world. Our prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. We are dependent upon God. We will not make heaven if but by God's strength and God's power. Prayer acknowledges that we would not do this. We would not make it on our own strength. And God wants us to actually go, right, you know the destination, you know what I want, drive towards it and I will supply you the power. I will change your hearts, be like Christ. Be different. We have a new relationship in Christ. Our prayers reflect that new relationship we have in Christ. We read in Philippians these verses. And my wife loves, just to say, my wife loves Philippians. She absolutely loves this book. I'll tell you in a second. This is what my wife, this is what Paul says in Philippians. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When every Saturday comes, my wife sits down and reads this passage. She reads the whole of Philippians. But what she did yesterday, she was cleaning out 
her cupboard. She was doing some spring cleaning and she found a letter that she'd written to me just before we got married. And it was a really lovely letter. It was really nice and she read it to me last night. But in this letter, she had included this prayer for me that I would uh, grow in my love and knowledge and depth of insight. And it is such a powerful prayer. Why is it a powerful prayer? Well, what Paul is asking is that their love may grow in uh, my grow for each other. Now, we live in a culture that has redefined love. Our culture has totally redefined love to be a feeling. If I feel good or if it feels good to me, then I am loving. So to be loving is to make, is to feel good about you. That is a real problem in actually defining love that way. If love is a feeling, then you can fall out of love. And if I don't feel good, well then I should leave. I should get out. And what has happened in our culture, because love is a feeling and love is how you feel about somebody and that is the only good, it is doing all kinds of wicked and evil things. You only have to go on the internet and go onto YouTube and you'll find these videos on YouTube. You will find people arguing for pedophilia because it feels good and it feels right. That is actually happening on YouTube. You'll see TED Talks, main big talks, where main stage where people are arguing we need to be understanding of pedophilia because it feels right. You will find videos where you will see, and this is on YouTube, you can check it out, it's called Desmond the Amazing. He was a 14-year-old transsexual dancing at a gay stripper club with gay men throwing money at him. It feels good. It feels right. If love is a feeling, then you will not be able to argue against what people do. But Christian love is not like that. Christian love is totally separate. Christian love isn't a feeling. Christian love puts the needs, not the wants, the needs of the other person before yourself. And we see that demonstrated in the cross. God's love for people is that he died because we needed it. But he doesn't, Paul doesn't just say love, he connects it to knowledge. And he says, your knowledge of someone may abound more and more. And what Paul is saying is, if you love, you will want to know somebody. You will want to care for somebody. You will want to actually get to know their needs. Trudy never comes to me and says to me, Adam, do you love me? And I go, yes. And then she says, will you do this? And I go, no, I just, I, I don't care about what you want. I don't care about what you're thinking. Love actually needs and wants to know the other person. And what Paul is saying here is that, and what he's praying for, is that their love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. That they'll actually understand not just uh, the person across from them, that they'll understand God and understand the way God has put the world together. 
The world has been put together in a certain way by God for his plans and his purposes. And what Paul is asking and praying for them is that they might understand that more. They might grow in their love and uh, their knowledge and depth of the insight. That they might understand the world better. Christianity is not a religion where you turn your brain off. You need to think, you need to grow, you need to understand. If you just think, well, it's how I feel, well, that's easier, I'll grant you, because it's just how you feel. But you're not going to grow. You're not going to actually understand how the world should. And there is a purpose for it, which comes on to the second point that Paul has here. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. See, Paul wants us to grow in this knowledge and depth of the insight so that we may be able to discern, that we may be able to think, recognise, understand what is pure, what is pure and best, that we might be pure and blameless. Christians are meant to be like Christ. We are meant to be different. Australians, as much as they like to think we are people who stand out, who want to be... Australians are a conformist culture. That's what we are. We don't like the person who stands out. We don't like to be different. We want to get along. And in a lot of cases, that makes a lot of sense. Except when it's actually being evil. Except when it does evil things. I remember I was, and this is, I had only just recently become a Christian. And a friend of mine said, let's, we're going out on a boat for a Bucks party. And I said, look, it's a Bucks. I know this guy. Uh, he's going to want strippers. I'm not interested in going at that. And my mate said, no, no, no. We're going fishing on a boat. There'll be no strippers and you can't get strippers there. And I'm like, okay, I'll come along. So we get out on the boat and, you know, we were the typical city slickers. We couldn't catch a thing. And it was a really boring boat trip. It really was. It was one of the most boring hours in my, few hours in my life. And so they all decided, hey, I know what will liven up this trip. Let's get strippers. And I'm like, oh, no. And I'm thinking, how do I get off this thing? I don't want to do this. I know it is not right. But I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm not going to say anything because I want to fit in. I don't want to be different. I don't want to stand out. So they're all on the phone trying to get strippers. I'm secretly sitting there praying to God, God, get me out of this. May they not find some strippers. And for an hour, this is going on. Eventually, they gave up because they couldn't get any strippers. And I'm just saying, thank you, God. And we went home. I was very happy. But the truth was... I would have gone along with it. Why would have I gone along with it? Because I was scared to stand out. I was scared to be different. And I actually understand that. I do understand how we find it hard to, to be different. But the truth is, as Christians, we are called to be pure and blameless. We are called to be different. We are called to stand out. And we won't do it unless we have God's strength. And even at that stage, I thank God and I'm very thankful for God that he answered my prayer and they didn't want, they didn't get the strippers that night. 
Did God answer that prayer? Yeah, he did. But am I proud of what I was like and what I was saying? Not really, because I wouldn't stand up to say, no, I believe this is wrong. It is hard to be in the world at times. It is hard to be different. But God wants us to be different. He wants us to be pure and blameless because we know where we are going. We know the direction we have got. And finally, he fills up the final point he says in this prayer, that we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And what Paul means by this is the fruit of righteousness is the good works. It is good works that we do as we mature in Christ. You only get fruit from a tree that is actually mature. You only get good fruit from a tree that is mature. And what God wants us to do is to actually grow and produce this fruit. And he wants us to do it for a very simple reason, that we might live to the praise and glory of Christ Jesus. You know where we are headed. We know what we have been called to do. We have been called to be holy. Why? Because the Lord our God is holy. We are called to be different. We are called to be uh, spreading and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We are called to be stand out in the world. But it is hard to do. It can be very hard to do. And so we need to be prayerful for it. And we need to be asking God to keep on building this new desire in us that we might be different, that we might stand out, that we will continue to trust him, that we will be dependent upon him. See, the reality is, and Joe even said this this morning, what we're often ashamed to do is something that is very, very Christian, and that is this. We need to show our dependence upon God. Our culture doesn't like to show its dependence. I've once heard people say Christianity is just a crutch. No, it's not. It's not a crutch. It's a complete life support system. You are totally and utterly dependent upon God. If God did not keep on keeping the universe consistent... If God wasn't sustaining the universe at every moment of every day, at every point of time, it would cease to exist instantly. But because our God is great and loving, kind and generous, he sustains it. And he wants us to acknowledge that we are dependent upon him. That is to relate rightly to him. And that fosters us and fosters in us a new desire, our new desire in Christ. We want to be like Christ. You can't help but look at Jesus in the Gospels and see a man who is totally dependent upon his father, who totally wants to relate to his father. Every time I watch Jesus and I watch him pray and watch him uh, deal with people, all I can ever see is a man who wants people to actually know God and to trust God and to trust him as God. I see a man who loves people and I go, I want to be like that. 
And then I look at my own heart and I go, I'm not. I'm not like that, but that's what I want to be. And so that brings us, really brings us to a prayer that Jesus actually does for us in John's Gospel. And this prayer comes after Jesus has just prayed for the disciples. But he stops praying for the disciples and then he prays for us. He prays for the whole world and he says this, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know, you, they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that you, that the love you have for me may be in them and that I my myself may be in them. Hear what Jesus is really saying. And it's, it's a lovely prayer, but really what he is saying is the truth of this, that we might be unified in Christ, that we might be like Christ, serving Christ and as the as Christ is in the father and the father is in Christ that we would also be in Christ and be unified to him the prayer is a prayer for us he wants us to be like Christ it is a great prayer and because he wants us to be like Christ because he's driving us towards that direction. He wants us to learn to pray to be like Christ, to be driven in that direction. And because we have that desire, because we have that new desire in Christ, we also want to see others to have that desire. And we see this in Paul's prayer to the church in Colossae, and this comes later in the book. He says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul is actually praying that the door might be open, that others come to know Christ, that they also might be like Christ. That has to be our new desire, to see the whole world glorified for Christ. The reason we pray at the end of the day is we want to be like God. We want to see the world shaped to the glory of God. The reason we pray is because we know the destination. We know where we are going. And we know that we are weak. But in God's strength, through God's power, he will carry us to the end. We pray 
because we know our God will and will and is capable of taking us to the end. We live in a world that hates God. It actively rejects and rebels against him. But we know the goal. We know where we are headed. And we know that our God is powerful and strong and is able to get us there. Because we don't want to rely on our power, because we don't want to rely on our strength, because we know it brings God's glory, we pray and ask him to carry us to the end. We pray because we know what God is doing and we know where he's taking the world and we want to be like him and have our desires conformed. That is why we pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great strength. We thank you for your great power. We thank you that through your son, you have forgiven us the sins and our rebellion. We know we live in a world that's in active rebellion and rejection of you. But we pray, Father, we will not rely on our strength and rely on our power, but instead we will rely on your immense power and your immense strength. We know where we are headed, Father. We know that you are driving us to the glory of Christ to live with you and be with him forever and ever. We pray, Father, as your people here on earth, we ask that you will fill us with your mighty strength through the power of your spirit, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, that we might live for his sake and live for his glory. We ask and pray this in his name. Amen.